Well, we're in, we're in a series, and we're, we're coming towards the end of a series on the Word of God, which is a weird thing for me to say. We're, we're going to continue to preach the Word of God, but a series focused specifically on the power of the Word of God um, in our lives. And today we're going to talk about how God's Word is a double-edged sword. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read one verse together, and then we're going to look at a bunch of verses um, we'll read this together, and then you can grab your Bibles if you brought your paper Bibles. I see some of you do have, and I, I respect and honor that. I love it. We're going to read out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. God, you are, you are sovereign. You are in control, and you are the author of life. And so, God, we recognize that your word carries your sovereignty, your control, and your authority. I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you would move upon us right now, to sit in submission to your word. In whatever situation we find ourselves in as we approach this word, God, I pray that we would respond in faith and obedience to your word. God, I thank you that, that your, your, your scriptures produce what you desire for them to produce. And Lord, I pray that grace would flow and that we would respond in conviction, repentance, and obedience. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who reigns over all. Amen. You can be seated. All right. So uh, this is one of those Bible verses that I feel like some of us may have on a mug. Maybe you have it on a t-shirt. You know, you went to youth camp one year and there's this like, graphic picture of a sword and on the back it's in like gothic lettering the word of god is powerful sharper than any double-edged sword or maybe as a, a kid you went to vbs and you got a little foam sword you beat your little brother with it you're like this is the word of god uh, i remember when we were younger no when we were when we were younger parents um i suppose we were younger but uh there's this show called bible man which it's a mixed bag. You can give it up. That's fine. Yeah. There we go. We got some fans in the back. Um, so I won't denigrate it. And I use that term for the sake of those who don't understand what denigrate means. Um, it's unique. But what, one of the things I do appreciate is that you could actually buy, or in this case it was given to us, uh, one of the purple swords. It was like the word of God, you know? And it's, it's a helpful visual aid for understanding what the Word of God is. Um, but what's interesting is that as I was studying this scripture, I realized that I had no idea how this was related to the text itself. You know, as we're, uh, by the way, open up your Bibles to, to Hebrews chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, then just get on your phone or get out of the game, you know, get out of Wordle and get into um, a Bible app. And Hebrews is in the, the New Testament. It's towards the end, chapter 4. 
verse 12. And, and I think, you know, I, I don't want to make any assumptions, so I'm just going to walk through the process. When you read the Bible, you need to read it in context. And, and it's, it's important that we read the Bible not just as, as God's Word, but as literature that's come to us written by humans. We're in, um, in staff meeting. We have staff meeting for the church on Tuesdays, and we're we're talking about what it looks like to read the Bible. And what's amazing about the Bible is, is it reflects the character of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, and he's not 200%. Right? He's just 100%. And you know, there were, there were uh, big conflicts that happened in the early church trying to figure this thing out. But the best we can say is that God is, is Jesus is 100%. Uh, God, and he's 100% man, and, and those are our boundaries. Now, it doesn't necessarily explain it as much as it says, you can go no further, right? You can't go, and well, because he's so much human, he's not God, or he, because he's so much God, he's not human, you can't say that he's both, and uh, how that works itself out is, is really sometimes a mystery. Well, the Word of God is 100% human in the sense that it's written by human authors who are not being coerced or uh, in a weird trance or just acting like uh, dictation machines, but they were humans in circumstances writing to a particular end in mind. You see that in, in Paul specifically, for example. He's writing to churches about situations, and yet there are timeless truths that he communicates and God communicates through him. And so I say all of that to say, when you look at this, and when you look at any of Scripture, you don't want to just say, well, this is a neat verse. I'm just going to lift it and kind of carry it around without understanding the context. Okay? For some of us, you're like, yeah, I know. Move on. Uh, so the writer of Hebrews has been, he, he, this is a great uh, book, as a side note, if you want to think, why Jesus? Why do we care about Jesus? Because the writer of Hebrews is basically saying Jesus is better. He's better than this. He's better than this. He's better than this. Actually, in fact, these things, many of these things were intended to point us to Jesus. And so in chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about this idea of rest. And he, he begins with the Israelites who are traveling to the promised land, and he basically says, because of the unbelief and the disobedience of the Israelites who were supposed to go from Egypt out of uh, slavery into the promised land, because they did not believe God, because they did not trust God, they therefore could not and did not enter into God's rest in the promised land. So they, they wandered in the wilderness. The people who disobeyed and disbelieved died apart from Joshua and Caleb. And then a second generation rose up and they entered to the promised land. And what the writer of Hebrews says is, this, is that this is a picture of what it looks like to step into the rest that comes as a result of salvation in Christ. There's a kind of struggle and striving and pursuit that we have apart from our, our relationship with God if we don't have any faith in God or trust in him, we're pursuing God, we're trying to enter in a kind of rest, but we cannot apart from this good news message. And so early on in the chapter, he said in verse six, since there, 
therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received what? The good news, talking about the, the Israelites, they received good news. Now, it wasn't necessarily the good news about Jesus Christ himself, but it was the good news about God's salvation culminating in the, them entering into the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, providing it what they need, being able to rest from war, being able to rest from work, being able to just not be slaves. But they failed to enter because of disobedience. Verse 7, and again, talking about God, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So the writer says, okay, Israel did not obey, they did not enter his rest. And then he connects it to David, who quotes back to that story. David is David the king who comes hundreds of years later, and he says, guys, if you hear about the salvation of God, if you hear the word of God, respond in obedience. Don't harden your hearts as some of them did. And so in verse 11, it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So he says, let's hear the gospel message, let's hear the word of God, and let's respond in faith and obedience so that we may not fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, this verse fits in, and it says, basically, let's respond in faithfulness because there is a sword that is waiting for us. There is a sword that is waiting for you. So now, I normally carry a knife. I was told not to do that um, when you preach because nobody likes that. Uh, makes some people feel uncomfortable. But I carry a knife just for, you know, cutting things open, not for fighting or anything like that. This isn't West Side Story or anything. Um, and one of the knives that I carry is this cool, if you're, if you're taking notes, it's the Kershaw Leak. Buy it. You won't, I dare you. It's awesome. Um, unless you're, like, under 18, then ask your parents. Um, it does, however, have a, a, a lock on it, right? Most, most knives, you don't need a lock. This one, you need a lock because otherwise, surprise, it will cut your finger off. And I, I, I would keep it, it's got a clip, and I'd keep it right here. And, and there have been two times where I put my hand in my pocket, and I felt really bad about that, that decision. And I've got to, I actually got to, um, my wife is not happy about the story, uh, but I've, I've got a, um, uh, a, a scar. It's, a, it's like a semicircle scar where my knife decided to cut my finger and not stay locked. So I ended up having to get it repaired and all that stuff. It's still an awesome knife. Get it. Just be safe. Um, or don't. You know, you definitely won't cut yourself if you don't have a knife, but if you carry a knife, it's a great... Anyways. Knives are intended to cut. That's the point of that whole story. Good knives cut well. Awesome knives cut and you don't even realize it. That's part of the, like, you're like, oh, that's not supposed to, what's going on here? Oh, my very sharp knife is open in my pocket. This is not a good thing. Anyways, um, God's word, it says, is a sword and it's sharp. He starts by saying, first of all, that the word of God is living and active. It's living and active. You know, I... Um, I, I like reading, and, and we've been doing some, 
some antiquing. You know, you know you're, you're kind of getting into a new phase of life when you go to an antique store and you're no longer bored, but you're like, oh, cool, an ottoman. Oh, neat, this is made of walnut. Oh, I don't want that. That's made of oak. We don't, like who, there, there are no, teen, all the teenagers are gone, but I'm sure that if they were not gone, they'd just like glaze over, like oak, walnut, you know, I don't, I don't care. But I've gotten to the place where I, we, we antique and we're enjoying it and it's fun. And so I've bought a, a couple like uh, old books and it just so happens that the first one I got was an anthology of, of like English poetry. And there's nothing that makes you feel smarter than owning an old book of English poetry. Now, whether or not you read it, no one has to know. Uh, I actually, and then I ended up buying, I did read some of it. Um, there's another book that I got, a similar old book by uh, an, uh, an Irish poet, I believe, Robert Burns. He's the guy who wrote um, uh, the song that we sing at, at the end of the year. Um, old Lang Syne, yes. It's old Lang Syne. It's all words that we don't say in uh, the North American area. But uh, it's basically a, a song about or a, a poem about the old times and remembering. And it's really awesome. And, and you can read books like this, and they're, they're interesting, and they're inspiring to some degree, and they, some of you are like, they aren't inspiring, but, but, but they're, they're helpful to whatever degree they're helpful. The difference is that eventually, you know, Robert Burns died, and, and really the power of his words, th- though they are impressive, I, I believe he's like the, the poet of, of Ireland, but, but they, they have a limit to them. And, and we know that because there are only a few authors whose words kind of seem to transcend. And even their words don't necessarily c- carry um, a lot of weight if we're honest about the power of words. You know, you have Shakespeare and, and certainly some of his language is, in, is uh, worked its way into the English language. You have um, other things that, that reflect that same thing. But what's interesting is that the Bible carries just a categorically different kind of weight. You know, when, when, when uh, Martin Luther wrote his, well, translated the Bible from, from Greek into German, he, he basically, in many ways, codified the German language. He, he brought it together. Now, that wasn't the only factor. I mean, you had the printing press, and you had, like, there were a lot of streams that created this, this document that then allowed the, the German language to be preserved and, and, uh, and continue on. But, but the Bible did similar things for English. I mean, there are so many idioms that we use that, that reflect uh, a biblical origin, and the Bible is uniquely, uniquely powerful. It's uniquely living. In, in 2 Timothy, if you're, if you're taking notes, you should write this, this scripture down and memorize it. If you're not taking notes, you should write this down and memorize it. Uh, it 2 Timothy 3.16 Uh, Paul writes about Scripture, and he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Now, your your Scriptures may say all Scripture is uh, inspired, uh, but the idea there is not just like, wow, that's a really inspiring story. I am now motivated. This is not hashtag Monday motivation. No, this is, uh, some theologians call it expired because God breathes it out. And therefore, it carries the power and the life of God. You know, there are two things that, that the Bible describes as having been breathed out 
or, or where God breathes into something. The Bible and humanity. There's, there's an intrinsic connection between the two. I had uh, one Greek professor who told me the story of going to his youth um, and asking this question. He, he had a bag of dirt, and he just kind of lifted up the bag of dirt, and he's like, what's the difference between the bag of dirt and you? And the kids are like, I hope quite a bit. And he said, the breath of God. The breath of God is what distinguishes us from a bag of dirt. And the breath of God is what empowers and strengthens and gives life to this word. And, and, and understand me when I say this, that it's not as though God's word carries the breath of God. Like if we look in here, we'll find the breath of God and it'll come out. No, the, the word is the breath of God. And, and it carries it throughout all of scripture. It's powerful. In First Peter Another text you should memorize, not the whole, well, you can memorize 1 Peter, that'd be great. Uh, but 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, um, yeah, is that right? Or is it 2 Peter? So through all believers are written, yep, that's, no, that's wrong. 2 Peter, moving on. 1 Peter's great, but 2 Peter one twenty one. sorry about that, guys. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So scripture, no, no prophecy, and, and Peter's not just talking about kind of a prophetic utterance in a specific moment, but he's kind of speaking of all of scripture. And he says it, it doesn't just come, a lot, uh, come, come about because people wanted to write stories. Now, certainly that was part of it because, again, we understand scripture to come from humans, but it's carried along by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's word is living. Because God's word carries the, the, the mark of God, the, the breath of God, it is alive in a way that no other, no other texts are. And this is reflected in the fact that the Bible is, is it's kind of a bestseller. I mean, it's, it's kind of a big deal. It's living and it's active. Uh, it, it's not only living, it is, it is active. If we were to go to the, the Gospel of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. It's one of the fourth book of the, Old, the New Testament, if, we're, if you're following along. Um, there's, this, there's this interaction that Jesus has. He has some friends, Martha, uh, Mary, and this guy named Lazarus. And he goes and he, he's in another town, finds out that Lazarus is sick, but actually delays himself. And I believe for the purpose of allowing Lazarus to die, not because he's you know, doesn't like Lazarus, but because he wants to do something amazing in Lazarus' life. And we see that, he, you know, everyone's upset. If you'd come, man, he, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus, where were you? And in verse 38, Jesus goes to the tomb. It says, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, if there would be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Uh, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would not see the glory of God? See, he, he tells her something, and she's about to find out the life that is in those words. 
So they look, sorry, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. God's word brought life because it's not inert. God's word brought life because it's not impotent. It's powerful. It's strong. It's capable of performing what it intends to perform, doing what it intends to do. In Colossians chapter 1, we've, we've heard this text before, but I'll read it again. Colossians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul is writing to the Colossians and he's reflecting on, on how God, he, he's been moving, God has been moving in, in this people and he's thankful for it. He says in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of one, your faith in Christ Jesus, two, and your love for all the saints, three, and of the hope that you you received uh, because of the hope laid out for you in heaven. Of this you heard before in what? The word, the gospel, the truth. They had received God's word. They had heard it. It had, it had done something in their souls. It had affected them. It didn't just sit out there as information, but they had received it in their hearts and it resulted in something. And verse six, it says, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is what? Bearing fruit and growing. You don't say that t- type of thing about Shakespeare. Shakespeare's bearing fruit and growing in, in, in the world. You might say, well, we're reflecting on Shakespeare's words. It's interesting. It, he gives a helpful perspective. You know, wow, that's neat. But God's word does something in people. It transforms them. It changes them. It's active. In Genesis chapter 1, It says this, in the beginning, God, what? He created the heavens and the earth. What was the manner by which God created the heavens and the earth? He's God. He can do it however he wants, right? He could have just thought and it came to be. Why why is it that he speaks? Is there a necessity to him speaking? Right? Is there something about God that is limited such that he can only speak and create? I don't think that's the case. I think that God is giving us a picture of the power of his words. It says, and God said, let there be light. He was commanding light to exist. And light obeyed. Because God's word carries power. Let me say that again. God commanded light that was not to be. There are things in your life that, that maybe you're saying, God, you, can you, address, you can't address this. The brokenness in my heart, my pain, the dysfunction in my family, the, 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 what's happening in my body, the situation that I don't know about but you know about. Hear, family, that God's word is intended to take what does not exist and call it into existence. It's powerful. In Isaiah, which is one of the prophets of the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, Isaiah chapter 55, this is another one you can memorize. Isaiah 55. Well, I'll start in verse 10. 
He's giving a picture of his word and how it relates to reality. And he says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Pause. So he's saying, in the same way that we see rain fall down and it doesn't just come back up, but it affects that which it falls down on. It brings, like that's what we're hoping for, right? We're starting to get some warm weather. We're like, okay, just go, let's get the green. Let's get out with the gray, in with the green, out with the cold, in with the warm. We see that rain and snow, it does something. He says, in the same way, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You know, um, I love my children, and they're awesome, and they're, they're, they're sweet and, and relatively obedient. Um, there have been the occasional moment where I will tell them, do this, and it just doesn't happen. <laughs> and, and I ask myself sometimes, why? And the answer is because they're my children, and I am a sinner. And I, I'm only half joking. But, but what that means is that my words don't necessarily carry the, the same potency to affect change around me. Right? I can't will something into existence and say, you need to exist. You need to obey. And how much of our life is arguing with that truth? Just side note. I feel like the older we get, the more we, we are faced with the reality that, that there's, there's the number of people that we can control just begins to diminish. You know, you're a kid and you're a baby and, and everyone responds when I whine and cry. And every, you know, this, uh, this is the toy. It is my toy. This is a person. This is my person. I'm going to now walk even though I don't have, you know, working muscles, but you are going to carry me to the place where there is sustenance. And, and as a child, everyone is in control. You are sovereign. You get a little older and all of a sudden you realize, oh, when I cry, they just look at me funny. And you get older and you realize... They were just being nice, and now they're not being nice. And you get older, and you're like, I sired those little people, and they don't listen to me. I can literally move them with my hands, and they still will not listen to me. And then you realize, I don't even listen to me. <laughs> Our, just embrace the fact that you can't do it. Because once you get to that place, you can recognize the one who can. Just embrace the fact that, you know, it, it becomes so much less of a point of frustration when you realize, you know what, you might not obey when I tell, me to, when I tell you to do that. And that, you might more quickly go to the God, you know, God, would you please convict my children? Would you please convict my so-and-so spouse? Would you please convict me? Would you help me to do what I know I ought to do? Because my words, not super powerful. God's words accomplish what they are intended to do. And what does God want to do? It says that God's word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. To what end? For what purpose? It's got a two-edged sword has two purposes to bring conviction 
or to bring judgment, to bring conviction or to bring judgment. Now, the, the Word of God certainly does more than just convict or bring judgment, right? It can bring comfort, bring encouragement, it can bring information, it can bring context, it can help us to see things clearly, it can give us wisdom. But at the end of the day, it, it, it demands a kind of response which is either conviction and repentance or, or judgment and condemnation. It says it's, it's a double-edged sword. Now, now, in the context of this, I think he's pointing at, at some of the aspect of, of condemnation, right? If we go back in, in chapter 4, we remember he's saying, guys, there is a, a rest that God has for you in salvation. If you will trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you will believe the fact that you cannot bring about your own salvation, you cannot uh, reconcile yourself to God, you are a sinner who is separated from God. There is a perfect, just wrath that you deserve. There's a punishment that you deserve, and there's nothing good that you can do that can re- remove that fact. If you will receive this gospel message, you will enter into a rest. And then he says, For the word of God is living and active. And he's saying, Guys, there is a judgment that is to come. There is a judgment. You know, as I was reading the Isaiah text that I just quoted where it says, you know, my word, it it does not come back void. You know, I I had this honest question, and maybe you you had this question too, where you've you've listened to the Bible. Maybe you've you've been in service or you've read your Bible, and you, you know, don't do this. And you walk away, and you do that thing. You do it real hard. You know, don't hate your brother. I'm like, I'll hate my brother if I want to. No, don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't be immoral. And, and you've heard it, and you're like, well, how effective was that? Not very. And, and what I would say is you're looking at the other edge of the sword. God's, God's word is effective. When we look at Pharaoh, and in fact, the writer of Hebrews reflects on Pharaoh. Pharaoh had multiple interactions with Moses. I'm talking about the Pharaoh who had the Israelites in slavery. This upstart Moses, who likely Pharaoh knew, had grown up with at least part of the time. Probably saw him as an illegitimate son and an interloper. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, hey, uh, God wants me to take these people into the wilderness to make a sacrifice. And Moses is speaking the word of God. And how does Pharaoh respond? No. Moses communicates, okay, well, if you don't respond, then there are going to be some consequences. There's going to be some judgment. And you have the ten plagues. And as you work through the plagues, you see that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh is hardening his heart, and Pharaoh is receiving the word of God, not responding in conviction, and therefore being condemned. And the picture is, it's complete, because ultimately you have this final, this final call of God, repent and obey, let my people go, and, or if you don't, you're going to have this tenth plague, Firstborns are all struck down. Pharaoh finally relents, lets his people go. But then he's like, oh, no, we're go- you know, who's going to run the store on Monday? <laughs> we got to get those people back. And he, he follows them into the wilderness. 
And the end of the story, the Israelites cross the Red Sea and they try to cross the Red Sea and God turns the water back on. He is judged by the word of God. And family, I don't mean to be dark or dour or edgy, but, but God's word is going to accomplish something in your life. None of us is without excuse. In Romans chapter 1, we hear that, that God's, God's reality, his word in, in nature, not, not scripture, but his word in nature, leaves us all without excuse that we have to respond to God. And the more that we hear of God's word, the more that we're going to be held accountable to. That's why in, chap- in, in James, it says that not many people should desire to be teachers because teachers are going to be held at a higher standard. God, for, he's going to hold me more guilty because I've studied more than, than many of you. He's going to hold me to a tighter standard because there's more of his word that's been given to me. I have a, I've got a sharper knife in my pocket. God's word brings judgment. It, 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 you know, to, to push this point a little bit further, because I think that it can be easy for us to look at the word and say, well, it's not doing what I think it should be doing in my life or in the life of this person. Therefore, I don't agree with this. You know, I was reading about rabies because I don't know. Um, now, by the grace of God, this is not really a disease that we struggle with for the most part. There's, you know, there's a vaccination that you, you know, if you ever get kids, if you ever get bit by a dog, tell your parents and then you go to the doctor and they'll give you I don't think it's a very good thing. I think they have to like give you a shot in your belly. That's what my chemistry teacher told me as a, as a high schooler. So that's, that's what I know to be true. It may not be any, at this point, but that's, it got in, codified in my brain that way. What's, what's crazy about this disease is that they, you, and I looked at a, a video of this, you, you become fearful of water. And there's some physiological things that, associate, that are associated. When you, when you get rabies, it, it attacks your your um, glands, and you salivate a lot, and also your, your throat kind of tightens up a little bit, so you kind of freak out a little bit. But there's also this kind of uh, psychological fear of water, which is weird. That, that water, which is intended to bring life, it's intended to satisfy, it's intended to quench a natural, appropriate thirst, becomes something that you fear. That is what the Word of God is like for those who reject it. It's not as though it, it doesn't produce a response, it's producing a negative response because they are in the throes of the, the disease which is sin. And it's why we need God to move upon us. It's why we need to hear the gospel and respond in faith. It's why we need to pray for those around us that God would move and bring salvation We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, dead, dead, dead as it relates to God. Alive certainly as it relates to sin, but as it relates to God, corpses, unresponsive, unwilling to receive water, to mix in the metaphors. Pharaoh heard and he was accountable for the word that he heard. You and I have heard and we're accountable for the word that we've heard. It brings judgment. It also brings conviction. In Acts chapter 2, as we begin to land this plane, I think I quoted this last week, but it bears repeating. 
in Acts chapter 2, you have the Holy Spirit. You have all these, these Jewish people from all over, and the Holy Spirit just falls on them. And God inaugurates, you know, Jesus, his, his church, many theologians are like, this is the birth point. This is where the church is born. Um, and it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And everyone was like, what is going on with these people? And Peter gives this sermon and he says, men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words. This is chapter 2, verse 15. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered in order that, sorry, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he begins to quote Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And he goes on and he talks about Jesus um, in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with many works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hand of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And he goes, he says this, um, verse 36, let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter preaches God's word to them. It is the, <laughs> the good news that Jesus died and rose again. It's not quite good news for them because they're looking at the judgment end of the sword. And when they heard this, they were what? Cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The word of God is intended to cut you to the heart with the hope that you will respond and repent. And Peter says in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's word is intended to bring conviction or judgment. So today, as we, as we reflect on this word, and as you think about how you relate to this word, let me caution you to say that this word is powerful. Let me encourage you to say that this word is intended to accomplish the things for which God has planned in your life. Right? If you're suffering and in pain, God's word is intended to bring comfort, consolation, and motivation. It's intended to bring life. If you're a parent and you've got wayward children, this word is intended to build faith and hope that God, if he can bring about uh, fruit and life, and if God's word does not return void, then certainly it will not return void in my child's life. It ought to give direction for you to say, this is how I ought to live in response to God's word, knowing that as I believe what God has said, as I preach to my children what God has said, and as I, I, I put those, those seeds of truth in their life, that God, you will produce life in them. And some of you, you've been, you've been persisting in sin, 
You come here and you, 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 you fake it and you, you want to make everyone think that everything's okay, but there are things in your life that are not pleasing to God and, and you want to hide those things. And the word of God says right now, because you know it to be true, you must repent. And I don't say that because I know this is, you know, I don't have a list or like a, a, a database of like, okay, well, Bill, oh man, he's got to take three, three pages. Poor Bill, as a side note, if your name's Bill, I'm not talking about you. It's just the name that I use because I don't know. Maybe I, there, I knew a kid named Billy as a child and I didn't like him. I don't know. God's word. If you're here and, and you're feeling a sense of, of turmoil in your soul, listen to the writer of Hebrews when he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do you need to join a small group? Have you been, oh, I should join a small group. Hey, I should join a small group. You're showering and you're thinking to yourself, I should join a small group. Or, or maybe, you know, the, the shower thoughts are the, the good thoughts because they're the thoughts that you're thinking without any sort of reference for reality and it's just what comes up and, you know, you know oh, I, I need to forgive that person. And, and if I said I need to forgive that person and someone came to your mind, that is not me, you know, kind of beaming that into your mind. That's the person you need to forgive <laughs> or those people that you need to forgive. If you hear God's voice today, do not harden your hearts. God's word is powerful. It's active. And let me give you hope, family. It will accomplish what it intends to accomplish. And God's word intends to accomplish life. It, tends, it, 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 it intends to bring life and fruit, godliness, holiness, joy. God has done amazing things in Jesus Christ. And he offers life and joy and peace and rest if we will receive his word and respond. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your word, which cuts and sometimes it hurts, but it brings life. And I pray that you would bring life and you would grant repentance, godly repentance, not just guilt or sorrow, but a sense of I have offended God and I need to respond to him I need to turn away from what I know to be sin and turn to him. If that's you, can I encourage you to raise your hand and pray with me? There's nothing magical in raising your hand. Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down. But, but there's something about putting your, your words and your money where your mouth is and responding, not just saying, man, I feel this way, but, but, but responding. If you raised your hand, just pray this, God, I, I want to turn away from the bad things that I've been doing. I want to stop doing those things. I want to start doing the good things I know I should be doing. And I want to trust you, Jesus. Open my eyes as I read your Bible. Help me to see you clearly. Help me to see how I ought to live clearly. and Help me to love you more and obey you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you, family.